Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dark down for a while Hi, it's me, Jackie Cation Welcome to the dark forest Let's do the credits Patrick Brady's going to fix this audio and video because that's what he's like. Uh, Vilmo's still working on the uh, on the website. He does the Jackie Cation store website. I just had it redone by Promotional Rescue, uh, Melanie VC, but PromotionalRescue.com did the new website. Uh, Vilmo still does the store website, JackieCationStore.com. All you can go to JackieCation.com and see whatever you'd like. Uh, me doing stand-up, where I'm doing stand-up. Please come out and see live shows. You can see the new special. You can see the new um, old videos. You can see, uh, you can get merch if you want. There's a Dork Forest t-shirt. There's a new beanie because uh, I have a new joke about bees. And so there'll be a new t-shirt. And uh, for the holidays, you can indeed uh, get yourself uh, t-shirts or uh, hats or anything like that. It, it is November and December, so I ask that you do not donate to the Dork Forest. Normally, I say donate to the Dork Forest as much as you'd like. But in November and December, take that money and donate locally to a food bank in your neighborhood. So feedingamerica.org is a way that you can look up uh, your local food bank. Um, you just put your zip code in. You could also Google the words food bank and the name of your town. And that's what I recommend you do globally too. If you're in uh, Australia or uh, Europe or Africa or South America, wherever you are, please, uh, Iceland. Uh, I have listeners all over the world, you guys. So Patrick Brady, Mike Rickberg, that's why I forgot. Mike Rickberg wrote and sang the intro song. He will sing the uh, Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. And there's lots of episodes. So feel free to scroll back through dorkforest.com. You could uh, check out my Tumblr account. There is a Facebook group called Dork Forest Rangers. Um, but my Tumblr account has essentially the fan favorites of the shows for the last 18 years. And um, no, I don't think it's actually the whole 18 years because the first three years were poorly recorded. And uh, so if you go to bandcamp.thedorkforest.com, you can see uh, I curated that first uh, three years into 17 of my favorite episodes. There's also a storytelling album on my band camp. And there is um, just some loose episodes that you can buy for a dollar. I think that were live anyway, a lot of information. Let's get into the show. Hey, uh, Rangers, Jackie Cation here in my garage uh, with uh, just a, a, it's, it's a hot second. Coming in hot. He he actually really good friends with uh, a guy that I have been acquainted. We would be friends, Andre and I. Debouche? Debouche. Debouche. If if I hung out with him more, I would know how to pronounce his name, you guys. <laughs> and uh, But we would be friends if we hung out more. But uh, I know him the best of all. The, you two, Adams, and then Andre have a podcast. And it's called Stark Raving Reviews. Uh, Adam Felber, welcome to the program, by the way. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. It's, and uh, I say Felber, right? Did I do that? Did I stick it's that? It's Felber. Oh, shit. Yeah, you blew it. Uh, the you blew tea. it. Oh, I'm no so tea. happy to be here. I mean, I just got off a plane and and to, to, oh the, to the news that I might be doing this podcast with you today. I'm not saying I was – I'm kind of like your 
your cousin's your your friend's cousin at the prom, aren't I? Your date canceled. Well, you know, I'm a wallflower. Will you dance? I will and, dance. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I was brought in here as backup. Uh, here's the thing. I uh, My scheduling is so crazy right now. I sent out 20 people. I was like, somebody please come and do uh, a dork forest with me without any notice. And luckily, uh, your co-host threw you under the bus. And I Fantastic. was like, it's super fun. Adam Felber, by the way, you it's probably this last Sunday is wait, wait on uh, Sundays. I feel like it's wait, wait, Sundays. It, it, depending on who, which NPR affiliate you're listening to or whether you're doing the podcast Saturday or Sunday. Okay. Anytime. Yeah. And, but yes, so, I just came back from Chicago recording this Sunday's wait, wait, don't tell me. That's it. So, uh, and Adam Felber is, uh, has his own podcast uh, with Paula Poundstone, which we've all heard of. And more people should listen to because she just got a Patreon. It's called Nobody Listens to Paul Poundstone. You did wait, wait. And then the new one is uh, reviewing uh, all the movies. All the movies. Uh, And we love everything. Andre and I have been doing these characters. Andre is this brilliant comedian. Uh, You know him best from Conan O'Brien's show. Yeah. Um, And we've been doing these two incredibly enthusiastic geeks for years. (laughs) But now they have their own podcast where they love everything. That's amazing. Uh, well, congratulations. And uh, I, I, my brother, Russ, will literally, uh, there are two episodes. Oh, wait, just one episode with my brother, Russ, uh, Hallmark movies. Because my brother, Russ, has a theory that if there's one good scene in a movie, that's a good movie. And I was like, <laughs> you are ridiculous. <laughs> I wrote a book over the pandemic with... With a B-movie maestro named Charles Band. He did all the Puppet Master movies and stuff like that. Okay. I slowly discovered over the pandemic that that is his movie aesthetic, too. If he makes a movie that has one scene that you remember or even one shot that you remember, that's a good movie. Wow. Okay. All right. See, uh, I, I don't. I used to mock my brother Russ about it, but there's no. It, you should. He also knows. Well, <laughs> it it just it's like it's like Teflon. The guy literally his wife's his mother in law just passed away, and uh, he called oh. me up. He said, "I guess one of her last sentences. She was almost 101. Uh, the, he's been married to his wife for 43 years, wow, and one of his one of her last sentences was, I never liked Russ.'" And um, I was like, well, you're you, he could be such a button pusher that I'm like, well, you'll be happy to know that you occupied that real estate until her last breath. Then, Russ, aren't you in yeah. her brain box? Yeah. Uh, 43 years. You would have thought you would have thought you thought she would have come okay. to some peace with him. But no, no, no. Turns out and, never liked him. Uh, no, I <laughs> never liked him. Uh, I. I know he's a button pusher, but uh, he's one of my favorite brothers, and I have four. You have so, four? Uh, I have four brothers. And uh, oh, did, did like some Catholicism break out in your family at some point? Yeah. Yeah. My oh, mother okay. was Catholic, but not practicing. Okay. The only okay, thing she but... didn't practice was birth control. <laughs> As my sister likes to say, you know, the condom was invented in the 1700s. And then someone said, well, then you wouldn't have been born, Darla. And then she said, no, no, I would have been born a Kennedy like I was supposed to have been uh, or a Rockefeller. Oh, that's an interesting and, uh, cosmology right there. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no shortage of uh, certainty in my family. But Adam Felber, let's talk about your dorkdoms, which I thought is great because we're coming right in hot off of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with right. Virginia Jones. 
Oh my and the god! First I listen, thing, but before we yeah. get to that, can I can I usurp this because there's something I have to mention? Having just Please. listened to that, I, all right, <laughs> I came home, found out I was going to be on this podcast, took a bike ride because I do that every day, and listened to last week's episode with Virginia Jones. And by the way, I I'm an instant fan of your podcast. And Thank early you. on, you before Virginia could get to anything, you started mentioning romance novels. Oh right. And oh my then gosh. you said that romance novels were your jam, and then you mentioned that a Regency romance, and you you actually knew the years of the Regency period. Once again, that's the period when sure. King George the Third was mad, and his prince Prinny George, soon to be George the Fourth, was ruling. <laughs> for, and you, you, so you named the years and said Regency romances are my jam. And right. I almost crashed my bike because I am the son of the late Edith Layton, romance writer. Oh, Regency no. romance I, novelist extraordinaire. Now, is it spelled L A Y T O N? Or is it L E I G H? She proposed L E I G H T to Signet New American right? Library when they bought her first Regency romance, and they said that sounds a little too stern. Let's go with L A Y. Oh, oh, interesting, interesting. But and then she much published like, like twenty five novels under that name. Oh, of course. And I have to tell you that uh, that uh, romance novels, much like country music, the names of the people have to sort of make make you think about white people from Europe. Yes. And Edith Layton <laughs> makes you think about white people from Europe, as right. does Ashley McVeigh or Mc, McCluskey or whatever the uh, I just bought her album. And because uh, I will I will buy an occasional country music album. Is what I'm also no, sh- no shame in that. No shame in that. There's no shame. And the door three chords in the no truth. Shame. So, well, yeah, and uh, I will. um <laughs> I will definitely look her up because uh, I'm always looking for a new author. Turns out she's uh, they're real clock great. eaters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, they absolutely are clock eaters. And I, I can tell you, she was witty. She researched like a, like hell constantly. There's tons of yeah. stuff in there. They're just good books. Oh, that's awesome. I'm I'm on board. And uh, and I will uh, Regency Romance. Just needed to write that down. Rangers. It's okay. <laughs> and uh, so, but... Not your, not your, I, I have to stop myself from weeding off into what you like to read because we will get to it because you like a graphic novel a great deal and a comic strip. But, uh, but this Terry Pratchett disc world business, somebody else wanted to do it. And there's so many of them. Don't, don't worry, listener. You can also be on to talk about Terry Pratchett's Stick with Discworld because there's a gajillion of the books. There's a gajillion of the books. And the reason I was thinking of it is because you were just talking about Hitchhiker's Guide. And I guess just a few years after Hitchhiker's Guide hit, Terry Pratchett um, started writing these fantasy novels. And, of course, like you, I grew up reading tons of sci-fi fantasy. And – they were very much high fantasy in the style of Douglas Adams. And the first couple of books, I think, suffer from that. Like, they're really funny, but, you know, right. he's clearly trying. It took trying... six books. Yeah, it took six books took... for me to like them. Yeah. Oh, so you've read them. I've read probably 12, 11. Oh, my God. That's great. Yes. Okay. And the first couple, not that good, right? Like, um, right. like uh, they the build Light nice. Fantastic and stuff. They're, they're, they're okay. They're okay. Yeah. They're okay. I get what they're doing. And I had read them after Hitchhikers. So Hitchhikers, uh, Terry Pratchett, much like Hitchhikers, there's a window where you have to appreciate sarcasm. For sure. And But as you get deeper into his catalog, the the sort of the satire, the political and social satire is 
Epic. It's it's amazing. I can't think of any other writer who like gets better around book six. You know, it's, right, but right. that's that's exactly what is what happens with him. And by the time he really hits his groove, like ten to twelve books in, he's, <laughs> he is putting out classics of satire. There's one that I love. Have you read um, Small Gods? No. No, okay. I have not. Small Gods takes place in a sort of a desert kingdom that he doesn't explore that much. He has he has these little <laughs> niches where, like, you'll get a lot of books from the capital city about the police force. Or you'll get a lot of books yeah. about the witches, sort of these, these sort of, like, really fun semi-feminist tracts about magic and stuff. They're, they're really fun. Right. And... and but then Small Gods is kind of a standalone in some weird Egyptian-esque oh. kingdom. And one of the things I love so much about it, and, and this is a theme that recurs in his books, is that the desert where all religions come from, this particular <laughs> desert, is populated <laughs> by lots of gods that people have forgotten. And in the cosmology of Terry Pratchett, things are only as strong as the aggregate belief force in the world around them. And I, there's, there's something that feels very true about that. That it is very true. And I wonder, what, do you know what year that that would have been written? Was it written before American Gods? I don't Neil know Gaiman? if it was, but Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett wrote a great book together soon after that. So, uh, Which took the best of both of their ta their talents, I thought. 100%. I love that. And book. Good Omens. That, um, yeah, Good Omens. And, and, and actually, the TV show is actually quite faithful uh, and to the heart of it. I, I actually you think so? I, I started yeah. the TV show and didn't get all the way through. Uh, not for not uh, liking you, it, but like something else superseded it. Right. Sometimes you slide off and then all yeah, of a sudden you're I like, I, I, I meant off. to finish Poker Face. I never finished it. I mean to. <laughs> it was very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also a monster of the week. It'll be fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, the, Poker Face, if you saw episode three with the barbecue, I think it's called yeah. the slow. It's like, that, that's the best one. You, you, it doesn't get better than that. Oh. Well, then there we go. Okay. Yeah, you're I have done. actually you're seen done. that episode. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I've, I, good to hear. So, but Terry Pratchett, Small Gods, that sounds amazing. I love it. And, and so at some point, I, I can't remember, I've only read that one once. And at some point, some monk who has become disillusioned is wandering the desert and he's hearing the little whispers of all these gods that could really use someone to believe in them. And some of them fantasizing about some kind of return to power. And spoiler alert, they're not great if they do return to power. <laughs> Are they angry? Are they angry gods when they return to power? Well, or you were they don't forgotten know what they purpose? were until you start believing in them. And then, uh, and, and oh. apparently human belief shapes the way they behave, too. It's, it's oh. a fascinating book. And, it, and, and yes, yeah. when I read American Gods, I was like, this feels a lot like small gods. I do not know which was written first. Here's what I also enjoy about Terry Pratchett, about 220. That's how long the books are. They, Every they're, they, single they're not, one of them. Yeah. It's it's old school science fiction fantasy yep. length. You know, I mean, Dragon Riders of Pern, that first book was too long. And then, but Dragon I've read Flight. it so many times. Yes. Dragonflight, yes. I've, so I've read that, that series was probably like six times. Yes. And it, it was really big books, for yeah. its time. Yeah. 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 But but Terry Pratchett ones they they come in right around two sixty max. Yeah, they and, are sweet spot and, books. And, yep, yep, that's so cool. And small gods, I like that. Did he coin the phrase that all religion comes from deserts? Because that is a great line. I don't know. I He's so quotable. If you spend some time, and I have to for the podcast I do with Paula Poundstone, I spend a lot of time on Brainy Quote. 
Um, okay. It's amazing how often a Terry Pratchett line uh, comes up. And the reason being is that although a lot of your listeners are probably like Terry who? In oh, England. No. Not my listeners. <laughs> not your listeners. Okay. But in England, yeah. he's so huge that, uh, you know, you could buy an almost unlimited number of cool Terry Pratchett Discworld swag products. Oh wow! You can you know, get I atlases have... and 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 wall maps and 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 board games and all kinds of he, shit. Let's talk about the world that Terry Pratchett, Discworld itself, because that is interesting to me. That uh, what he believes, what 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 is created as the the planet itself, or the is it the universe yeah. that's on the back? No, what? it's the the Earth, the the, the Discworld. Okay. The, and I okay. think it's, it's vaguely based on some sort of Hindu cosmology or something. Anyway, the world is the world is a disc that is carried on the backs of four gigantic elephants, which rides upon the back of one giant uh, cosmos-spanning turtle named the Great Atun, Atuin okay. or something. So it's it's elephants upon a turtle. And the and the turtle is going just to just going around the universe. Just sails sort of around the cosmos. Space. Yes. Okay. Sails around the cosmos, and then the elephants kind of rotate. To I don't. Cr- do you think they rotate? I, ro- I, I think the elephants, the elephants must move. rotate, or the disc of the disc world rotates on the elephants. And then yeah, yeah. I know that, and and it's too far buried in my past to remember where this comes from. But apparently, the universe itself is on the back of a turtle because I do remember the quote from one of the witches, Granny Weatherwax, saying, "It's turtles all the way down." <laughs> <laughs> well, that really does sum it up, doesn't it? Um, the uh, the witch ones. I haven't read any of the witch ones. I don't think, oh, or if I have, favorites. they were just. Oh, they are. Yes, so, the okay. first one is probably Witches Abroad, which okay. is and Witches How Abroad you- is a. Um, kind of fun parody of Hamlet as well, or is it Hamlet or Macbeth? It's one or the other, as well as being an introduction to these witches. And okay. these three witches are fantastic characters. The The two old ones are just these no bullshit hags who run the world. And you just, <laughs> they're my favorite characters Terry Pratchett ever created, Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og. Nanny okay. Og being a little, little more earthy, Granny being a little more smart, and they can they can best. Uh, they're just the best, and they can beat anyone. And then their their young apprentice wish Margaret, who doesn't really, she really likes a lot of the you know the hats and potions and stuff that the older witches consider bullshit. <laughs> right, she's she's in it for the for the latte. Okay, yes, so exactly. uh, and yeah. what you learn what you learn from the older witches eventually is that that their version of magic uses little real magic and a lot of psychology, which Granny refers to as headology. So it's a lot of like, if I make you think this, this becomes magic. It's okay. great stuff. It's really great. Oh, that is, that is amazing. I I have to say because I um. I, I've been, there's part of me, and this is, I'm, I'm dead serious, except for I am working on a bit about it, but uh, that uh, <laughs> that I don't, because everything in my life is, this is, I believe this, because folks, I think we understand that if you go to, if you see stand-up comedy from from me, I'm not making anything up. Uh, I'm just trying to write a punchline about something that happened. So Happened, happened, um, happened joke. Happened, happened, happened punchline, hopefully, yeah. and uh, or 
uh, what is currently happening. I'm doing a bit about America right now, and at the end of it, I don't have a punchline, so I'm just like, Oof. eventually, this will. Ha- the punchline is eventually there'll be a punchline, but currently it is just a pep talk. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> which funny. is a laugh line. Yeah, that's absolutely a laugh line. Yeah, <laughs> that that'll do at the time. But uh, it is about uh, about how I. Uh, have taken up prayer in the last 10 years because of desperation. And, um, and, but I've always, I've not have ever had a problem with God. Some people don't believe in God, but I believe that that middle earth is real somewhere. So nice. Well, it, uh, it's not hard well, for me to if, believe. If a multiverse is a thing, there's an infinite number of universes. You're going to find a place with hobbits. Right. And I, you know, I would rather, uh, all I, I would rather believe in everything quite honestly, than believe in nothing. <laughs> I would genuinely just there's things I can control and most things I cannot control. And uh, so I'm fine with it. And there is part of me that believes that Terry Pratchett's Discworld is real somewhere just oh, because I would love it has to think so. All of the things it has all of life. And it's 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 not that it's not that different. You know, like if you no. were to go and no. Well, that's another fun thing the, yeah. about Terry Pratchett, isn't it? As life went on, as the 80s became the 90s, became the O's, he, the, these, these high fantasy characters in Discworld would invent things that were very similar to things that were being invented in our world. Like they invented this, this system of transmitting information, which was essentially semaphore, but it okay. was very much like, functioned very much like the internet. It was called the Clacks, right. and there's an entire book about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, how many books do you think you've read? All of his works. Did I've read write, all of his. I think I've read Discworld? all of his books. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, did he write anything besides Discworld and Good Omens? I don't know. He he because you did. know how like Douglas he, Adams wrote some nonfiction. I I know that that happened, but uh, I I haven't read it. Um, of Terry Pratchett, he had an early series about these little gnomes or something that that lived in, in our world called Diggers or something. There was like two or three books. I read them. I don't remember them making a great impression on me. Um, okay. There's a sub-series in Discworld that's kind of for young adults. Um, okay. About a character named Tiffany Aching, I think is her name. And I've seen those. Those are fun. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like he wrote one other book towards the end of his life. Um, he he got early Alzheimer's and tragically passed away just a couple of years ago. Right, um, right. But towards the end of his life, he wrote one other novel that I read that took place on some sort of tropical island that I really dug. Uh, do you like? Do you like sword and sorcery fantasy as a as a genre? Kind of. I did as a kid. Um, right. I don't. I, I I wouldn't say I don't like it anymore, but I right. don't read it anymore right well it's right because it's it's sort of a it's a real good coming of age kind of uh, series of books to read where because yes. it's usually just young hero learns that they're not a hunk of junk and that they can do stuff that's right? exactly it yeah it's yeah ve- it's it's very uh what's the word i'm looking for it, it it helps for that age right it's unsophisticated it is not exactly it it, it lends itself to sophist it leads to sophistication i think because it introduces ideas that are not that that I I think young younger minds or newer souls need to hear whatever. That's a right? really good analysis of it. I had I am not as deep a thinker as you, and so had not really thought uh, about why things like the sword of Shannara never would <laughs> crop up in my head after I was twelve <laughs> years old. But that's what? absolutely it. 
It's well, I have 15 nieces and nephews. So, um, and I would read whatever they were reading because I didn't want to talk about, um, uh, Digimon. Uh, so, sure. which is the poor man's Pokemon. Uh, if you don't have cable, you're watching Digimon in the early 90s. And, uh, yep, so, and I didn't want to. So, uh, I read like the Dragonlance series and I read a lot of the early Star Wars books and I read, uh, Oof. the Red Wall series. I couldn't do Clan of the Cave Bear. I don't no. care. Yeah. Uh, but and there there's some things I just had to stop. But um, that that yeah. sounds like before YA fiction really found its groove. There was this Very, terrible shit that you that you had to read. <laughs> right, right, right. And and I no and I tried games to back then. Right, and you try to you try to like you know get people to to you, and when I say people, I mean the youth, the uh, that, that I'm related to, the youths that I'm related to, <laughs> to. I want them to get in on it, and uh, so that we can talk about the books that I still enjoy. Uh, but okay, so. Yeah, so there's So yeah, there's no, I'm not a high one. fantasy reader anymore, but it was so much part of my past that that's why I was absolutely willing to accept Terry Pratchett into my life. And and the and the comic strips stuff that the as your second dorkdom as we go into the second Oh yeah. Uh yeah, yeah, is is kind of a fantasy world as well because it's talking animals, right? Pogo? Yeah. Now this goes way back for me. I was I was nothing years old. I was probably seven or eight years old. Um, okay. But um, and I found among my mom's collection of books two um, fraying volumes of Pogo by Walt Kelly. And right. you know it had it had talking animals. I was also kind of a precocious reader too. So like uh, cartoon strip books weren't really what I was going to be reading at at, at eight. Um, because I was already right. like I was all about Narnia and Middle Earth back then. Um, right, right, right. That, I think that's when my husband started reading Pogo. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So she had I Go Pogo, and I was becoming somewhat interested in politics at that point, and and also I loved wordplay. And and Walt Kelly's Pogo had all that. He wrote he wrote songs. He he was a fantastic artist. And in 1952, just as his comic strip was starting to get popular, he suddenly turned his comic strip political. And oh, and Pogo ran for president in 1952, somewhere around there. Also, the McCarthy hearings started up. Right. And right. Walt Kelly created a character, an evil bobcat invaded the swamp named Simple J. Malarkey, which sounded, you know, convincingly like Joseph A. McCarthy, um, <laughs> who started like weeding, you know, subversives out of our beloved characters in the swamp and turning them against each other. And right, right. Suddenly in like daily newspapers all across America, like this guy who was drawing lovable cartoon animals was suddenly using them as a platform for his political views. And it's right. And, you, and I was reading this when I was like eight years old. This is now like at that point, it was already like a thirty-year-old collection of it was collected, comic strips. and yeah. Oh, it was collected, and and he was a devoted enough artist that he would edit the books, take out panels that he thought didn't fit. He would draw wow. extra art, so like you weren't reading them, um, in t like like they were just daily strips laid out. You read them in book format with chapter titles. Okay. He was so ahead he, of his time with that. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Okay. That's you know I know that he was political and that and that Andy talks about uh simply a what is it simply a uh what's the last name simple j malarkey um, j malarkey that's it 
simple yeah. J malarkey. And uh, so, but it, uh, it's interesting because it led him not to like, he's read all of Pogo, yeah, but he too. did not, it led him to Cerebus. And he loved Cerebus. Yeah. Until the very end when Cerebus, the guy who wrote Cerebus lost his tiny lizard mind. And uh, he went. He, uh, I never got deep into service, so I don't know how this guy lost his mind. But I did. I did recognize sort of a certain commonality with Pogo. Right in the beginning, there was that sort of you know kind of Marx brother. Service, I guess, started out with like a Marx Brothers vibe, and it was it was yeah. it was more delightful. Uh, yeah, it was super delightful. And then somebody heard him. Uh, oh. So he oh. ended up being super misogynistic, and Andy was like, "I gotta step away from Cerebus." But he had read something like, you know, a thousand pages of Cerebus by this time, and so he st- oh. Cerebus is still part of his his zeitgeist, and so he still references it sometimes. And then he, you know, it's sort of like referencing like a not anything, like a dead but relative. sort of. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was thinking more of a Bill Cosby joke, uh, where oh, you're just like, this was well done, <laughs> yeah. but it got ugly. If you go too deep, don't go too deep. And don't go too deep. So, but there's right, another. So what is your? Yeah. There's another connection that I think um, people will find because uh, is I'm sure a lot of your listeners love the Bone series of graphic novels by Jeff yes. Miller. Is it? Yes. 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 Now the two main creatures from Boneville. From uh, 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 phone bone and uh, and and the other bone, the, the one, the taller one. They okay. are absolutely based on Pogo and his friend Albert the Alligator. They okay. look like them. They act like them. They sound like them. It's it's obviously a tribute. Okay. So and Jeff okay. Miller's art Let's... style is very similar too. So. Oh, to Walt Kelly's. Okay. To Walt Kelly's so, scenery. Yeah. But it was uh, decades later. Many uh, bone is like bone? late nineties, right? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Bone all is late I know 90s. is that Andy has Pogo, and then he also has Bone. Yeah. So it turns out you guys are comic book brothers. So congratulations. <laughs> that's, that's amazing, and I don't think of myself yeah. as a comic book person at all. Right. Well, uh, and he is almost uh, entirely made of comic books. So uh, he is. <laughs> you know, I, I wrote I'm married. One. Tell oh, him to read you? the one I wrote. Yeah, I wrote a six book miniseries for Marvel about ten years ago. What? Um, what did you get to write? What'd you write? I wrote. I had a friend who was an editor there, and he he called and asked if I wanted to write a Spider Man or something. And I was like, No, nah, yeah, sure. And then he called back and he was like, No, I have this really stupid idea. There's a Grant Morrison series from the ninety would you nineties. Would you like to rewrite it? And I said yes. And I so I wrote a six volume series called Scroll Kill Crew. <clears throat> I've it's part read of the Skull secret Kill invasion Crew. thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, is that with the cows? Yeah, that was mine. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're done. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> such a huge. I loved. I. Well, the it, one with Grant Morrison was also with the cows. And then okay. I wrote a rewrite of that Grant in 2009. Morrison. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, there it, we it go. Is fantastic. Yeah. And I started reading comic books in 2003 when I met Andy Ashcraft, who uh, was essentially like, the first one's free. Just try this. Yeah, that's, and then, that's, and a, that's now, a bad mojo. That's a, and, then, and then all of a sudden you're in. You're on yeah. board. And so, but we, uh, there's a fair number of comic books that are happening. I tried actually to submit um, an idea to write uh, a Great Lakes Avengers to Will uh, 
forgetting his last name, uh, editor over at Marvel. Uh, and I was recommended by perfectly nice people. And he was very polite to me, but he would not read my pitch. No. He was like, I know. A disappointment. But uh, Great Lakes Avengers, I'm from the Milwaukee area. And who doesn't want to write a Flat Stanley story uh, with a mortal man working corporates? I do. Uh, God knows I do. <laughs> I but want you day- to write it. Yeah, right. Who doesn't? If my friend uh, but, Steve okay. were still at Marvel, which he's not, he would have right. he would have okayed that. Right, right. You, yeah, exactly. That might have been a thing. So, but let's back up quickly to talk about Pogo. And okay. what is so? Who are the characters in Pogo? Who are sort of the main? What is Pogo? Who? Who? What? Pogo. Like, is I don't a pos- actually know. Okay, the whole thing takes place okay. in the Okefenokee Swamp of Georgia. I haven't That's... talked about Pogo out loud in probably a decade. Um, it, so it okay. takes place in the Okefenokee Swamp of Georgia. Pogo is a possum. He wears a striped shirt. He's an opossum. He's uh, he's your everyman. He's your Charlie Brown, okay. except he's not a loser. He's your Alex Rieger, although he's not as okay. much of a loser. He's your everyman. He's the one that everybody <laughs> likes. Um, uh, okay. His best friend is an alligator named Albert, who is bullheaded and stupid, but lovable. Uh, okay. And constantly smokes a cigar. They have... Uh, a turtle friend named Churchy Lafemme, whose best buddy is Howland Owl. And those two kind of are schemers a little bit more, but lovable schemers. They're constantly starting businesses in the swamp. Um, okay. Uh, and uh, They're wow. businessmen. They're entrepreneurs. They're, yes. Okay. But there's, they're not evil. I mean, the evil, but there's a, and then there's a deacon who is often evil and speaks in, and this is a really fun thing about Pogo. The deacon speaks in this beautiful, um, Old timey biblical font, like like it's. Uh, oh, he he did a calligraphy. He did calligraphy. Like, he... Beautiful calligraphic, and there, and over the years, many characters appeared that have their own calligraphy. Like a a shyster named P. T. Bridgeport, based on P. T. Barnum, a bear, would come through town, and he spoke in carnival like uh, pinup oh, ads. Right. Yeah. Okay. With, oh, with, that's with amazing. fingers pointing at letters and stuff. It like it was all a big yep. come on. Um, yeah, yeah, old timey, early nineteen hundreds kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Pogo and and his alligator friend wander yes. the w- wander, wander the, the swamps, and, yep. and and storylines would take literally weeks, sometimes over the course of an entire year, weaving in and out in the in the swamps. I mean, you'd read a daily comic strip, and there'd be so much happening in every panel, and every just like your life, every strip. No matter how serious, ends in a joke. There's a laugh right. in, in panel four <laughs> every day, every uh, day, every day. But uh, but the storylines wove on and on. Paul Pogo would run for president. They'd hold head to head to convention. They'd go to the wrong place, or the deacon would get um, uh, kind of seduced by these two cowbirds who were, were essentially Bolsheviks. And, um, oh. and there's just like so much shit would go on. That's so great. Yeah. That's and it just and it was and he wrote that from before 1952 through from about 1948 I would say all the way through uh, uh by the time he died in the early 70s 72 or 73 um right. he was he had a lot of help doing the script strip and it didn't okay. look the same or feel the same. I think his his heyday was definitely the 50s to early 60s. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Those are the ones to read. Like start start with the Early to mid fifties, right, right. Start with that early with, with that sort of um, McCarthy hearing kind of ones. 
That oh, sounds yeah. amazing. And Simple J Malarkey kept coming back even after Joseph McCarthy was done because red baiting remained a thing for many, many years. Right, right. It, um, and then, so this had to lead you into, now it looks like um, that it led you into all of the other sort of newspaper comic strips. I got Some really of them, into a them lot for of them a while. I would political. take breaks from my like endless sci-fi reading to, uh, yes. to, to make sure I kept up on my, yes, political comics. I mean, that's why I went into political comedy in the first place, because of Pogo and Doonesbury and eventually Bloom County. And the right. next thing you knew, I was like doing stuff like, wait, wait, don't tell me and stuff. I mean, it right, was a right. straight yeah. line. It's and it's um it's so funny because uh I've actually never wanted to do a political comedy and then um 2016 happened and then yeah. uh it turns out I'm alive. So uh there's no there's there's nothing I it, my stuff has always been vaguely sociopolitical but never specifically sociopolitical. And I don't do a lot of you so know. interesting because 2016 is kind of like the moment when I started backing away from political comedy. Well, because it's probably became overwhelming. It was and, nightmarish. I yeah. was I was writing yeah. for uh, Bill Maher at the time, and uh, for one, my views and bills were starting to diverge by then. But for two, um, by the end of 2017, I couldn't deal with waking up every morning to see what you know the the monster to the east was tweeting. You know, right. it was just right. it was just and and and, and mine was exactly the opposite. I had not um he actually taught me how to hate again, which is a disappointment because I don't want to <laughs> hate anything. I don't want to hate anybody in particular. Uh, someone said this to me the other day. Hate doesn't know who you hate. So hate just oh, kind of bleeds good. over all kinds of things. Yeah. So you got to try not to hate anything because hate doesn't know that you're just hating the one knob job you uh hate hate things no it can just leak into everything yeah it it, it, it just bleeds all over your life it fills so, your head yeah yeah so uh but but i was so angry and i was so full of rage that i had to actually go through the process of sort of leeching a lot of that anger off and How then i kind of came back well uh by doing by doing some material by uh by essentially Turning it where where I'm at with it now is that a lot of my stand up is kind of a pep talk. It's sort of a right. don't give up hope. Help the person in front of you. You can't fix Indonesia, but if you you know the ripple effect of you being a jackass at Starbucks and that person, you know, I mean, it will eventually reach Indonesia. So try not. Uh, so I feel like Indonesia and, just looked up and was like, "What do we do? Wait." What happened? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, We're what? Well, right. It's uh, it's better than me. If you'd like to hear my opinion on Israel, it's they make really good salads. Anyway, so it's easier to talk about <laughs> Indonesia. Gotcha. <laughs> so I'm not gonna, you know, let's let's. Uh, Fair. There's Fair. there's genocide and on every continent right now. Yep, that's right. So we all uh, got it. I yeah. Everybody's the United States isn't doing uh, such a great job. So uh, yeah. Uh, I, but so I have to, I have to, um, very much act, not even just locally, but literally the person in front of me. That's, so, that's um, kind of beautiful. Cause that is the only thing that you can do in this moment involves the person in front of you. Right. And so, and if I can help, I will help. And if I can stand up for someone who's being offended, uh, in front of me, 
I can also do that because this middle-aged white lady, you don't know what kind of power this is. This is a, it's a live action meat shield, uh, Adam. Uh, you can just hide behind me. The cops are loath to punch it for some reason. Are you ready to and, cry if it's going to help somebody else? <laughs> I'm always are you ready to uh, shed some wh- white lady tears. <laughs> Much like the Hulk, I'm always ready to cry. <laughs> so. Not only is that one of my favorite lines, I believe that is Andre Dubouchet's favorite line in cinema history. That's my secret oh. cap. I'm always angry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, which is why the current iteration of the MCU Hulk is hard for me. Um, so just because he's he's turned into Smart Hulk, and um, what's the point of we, Smart we, Hulk? We, we don't want that. We're, that's not what we're looking for. Is that really the current iteration? I've I've kind of fallen yeah. out of the MCU uh, recently. Yeah, their current uh, smoke. Could- they're back to Smart Hulk. Yeah, they're back to the Smart Hulk. And uh, Andy, you might want to poke your head in because we're talking about. Uh, uh, hey, hey, Andy. Yeah, we're talking about Pogo. We just talked Pogo. Oh, I love Pogo and Bone. Yes, you do. And Bone. Anyway. And, and don't you, wouldn't you say that Phone Bone and that other Bone are based on Pogo and Albert? I mean, they, I think oh, very oh, self consciously, sure. obviously. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're almost exactly the same shape as Pogo was. <laughs> they're yeah. absolutely clear. Like, and like all of those characters and, and Albert, the alligator, and all of them. And yep. what you should know is that uh, Adam Felber wrote uh, 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 essentially an updated Grant Morrison scroll kill crew. Oh, that's that Adam Felber. Oh, we read that. We enjoyed that. Oh, you did. Thank you. Yes. You know, I, I haven't read it in a while, but it was a weird process because the fr- I felt like by the third book, I understood how I might write a comic book. <laughs> right. <laughs> he understood how to write comic books by the third. By the third uh, one. Yeah, the third one. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. It was, it was great. great. Well, it thank was you. Uh, right after the sort of uh, Avengers Forever. Yes. Uh, hi, I'm married to a long box. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got to go off and uh, teach people the, uh, the uh, how to fight well, the good fight. Okay. Pleasure nice to, to meet you. Andy. <laughs> there you go. We may not have to do a bonus. Uh, so, <laughs> the because uh, <laughs> that's a real clock gator, too. But I will say that... Um, <laughs> He he teaches he teaches game design in addition to being a game designer. What and games yes, has he designed? I'm sure I've played his uh, games. It is the first uh, the first question. The his the famous games he worked on God of War two and three. There you go. Oh, for those are great games. Yes, and he's currently working on essentially it's a sort of a Sims Oregon Trail uh, dementia uh, game uh, that helps people who are caregivers with for people with dementia, and um, wow. so it's an educational game. <laughs> I would so. think. And infinitely replayable. Right, right. There's at <laughs> least, uh, I a, believe a there's about 30 levels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, and here's where we'll take a break. No, uh, we actually, wait, we're, we're at 40 minutes. We're doing great. We're doing great. You feel uh, strongly say, about this one hour thing. Is that like a service you do for your, your listeners? Like I do an hour, I, I don't do more, so. I don't do less. Okay. Kind of. I because th- I feel like an hour. It's it, and it also inspires people to Jackie at Jackie Cation me. You guys, you didn't talk about, and you're like, it's true. There can be another hour. I there's a guy named Gary. What? How can there I forget is. Gary's last name? Gary Anderson? Gary Larson? He's a son. He's a son, and he's great. There are four episodes of. Uh, he is doing uh, the Revolutionary War with me, but he would like to oh, do wow. only a year of each revolution. So he has to do eleven episodes. That I believe he's war. done three or four. Long war. 
long war. Long war. <laughs> it's a, do, do you remember defending your life? How long have I been dead? You've been dead a long time. Long coma. Uh, so that's an Albert Brooks. Uh, that's a joke. great, great movie. That is a great movie. So, and who knows? Adam Adam Felbert may review that movie in stark raving reviews. You I don't would know. love to. We 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 just del start delving into reviewing classics. We just reviewed um, "It's a Wonderful Life" for our upcoming Christmas episode. Although there you go, because we the, the characters that we play are such nerds, we review it sort of almost like it was meant to be the prequel to a. Uh, to a franchise about the war between heaven and hell. Uh, Clarence, <laughs> Clarence needs to. It's all about Clarence earning his wings so he's capable of battling Bahamut. This is boot camp. Yeah, oh my god, exactly. that's so freaking funny. Um, I will say the the movie that that you had something to do with. You said you did not write it. Barbenheimer, Bar- Bar- Barbieheimer. Barbenheimer, um, yeah, the same person that I wrote a book with, uh, Charlie Band, the guy who's the puppet okay. master man. He's he's okay. made 350 movies. Um, he has not made them carefully because ha- he's made 350 <laughs> movies. But if you were alive in the 90s, you were aware of Puppet Master and Trancers and uh, Ghoulies, frightening sure. a lot of kids in the 80s with that yep. t- monster coming out of the toilet. Um so I wrote a book with him over the pandemic. I co-wrote his memoir. And okay. when the Barbenheimer craze hit this summer, I texted him. I was like, man, if you're not making Barbenheimer, the movie about some dolls that invent an atomic bomb. You have left money on the table, my friend. Exactly. So he had to so do he, it. That's he it. He had to do it. He had to. And um, I can't say I wrote it. Right. <laughs> okay. Then he never you guys uses heard it guild writers and I'm a guild writer. So. Oh right, right. So uh, can't say it. Can't say it. It was, ri- it was written uh, by a woman named. Super fun. Um, yeah, it was a, w- written by a woman named Danella Rose. Okay, all and right. It's, it's a beautiful super name. Fun. Yeah, and it's super fun. Uh, did you see the Barbie movie? Did you see did. the Oppenheimer movie? I yeah, did. That would have helped to not yeah. write it. And uh, but I will say this is that. <laughs> uh, I didn't see the Oppenheimer movie because it looked sad, and that's. Where we get back to romance novels. No. Uh, and that is why <laughs> there's, I read the news and I think it's been, uh, Rangers will know this. I like the news, uh, Pony Express, uh, two weeks late with a lot of analysis. Uh, that's what I like. Uh, that's, that's a how good I like way to re- approach it. That way you don't have to try to contextualize it yourself. Nope. Nope. Uh, what I like to know is what happened a couple of weeks ago and who I can send a hundred dollars to because there's been some fallout. So you might might miss out if, if there's an asteroid about to hit the earth, then, you know, you won't be as prepped as other people. Uh, uh, I have also stated this and I will say it again. If my last words are, Oh shit. Uh, that is actually a win, uh, because I've trusted somebody or it'll be fine. It'll all work out. Uh, but so we could do, we could talk more. Like, I don't even know what little Abner is. I've heard of little Abner, oh, you know but I don't know it what was, it is. It was also, it was contemporaneous with Pogo and not nearly as good, but in some ways much okay. more successful, not worth talking about. And what what is your opinion of Calvin and Hobbes, which was a phenom in the 80s when I went to college? Uh, yes. And uh, when I went to college, it was a phenom as well. And I was super into it. it um, and at the time, I would have called it genius. My ardor for it has cooled over the years, but I still think it's a wonderful comic strip. And he was a huge fan of Pogo. Okay. And it, and it, and it, Watterson. And it, 
it's always been interesting to me that he's he never made any merch, but he never stopped anybody from making merch. He was yeah, like, he was, do whatever you want. Yeah, he had no interest in it. And then he's one of those few people who like realizes his tank is empty and walks away. And I admire that. He that is just, that w- that's amazing. Yeah, that was like the most successful comic strip in the world at a time when comic strips could be successful. Which I don't. Are there any anymore? I don't think so. Um, uh, I was going to ask you if you if do you read any web comics? Um, Andy reads I, a lot of web cam- comics. I read the ones that you know come my way that show up in memes, and I'm like, what is this thing? And maybe I'll read it for a while. But uh, you know, I was never so into comics that i felt a need to follow web comics um okay there is a sword and sorcery uh filthy 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 comic uh that is uh called oglaf o-g-l-a-f dot com and it is essentially just beautifully drawn dick jokes they are hilarious i need to be there not, not not always dirty always funny and occasionally super filthy. But I feel like I might have come mean. across that once. Oglaf. And never yes. mean, did you say? Not mean. Not mean. Just uh, just literally, like, I remember, um, for example, one of them that wasn't uh, dirty was um, these monks, or they might have been orcs, that whatever it was. Uh, okay. They were some sort of fantasy character. Finds the well of doubt. They've been looking for it. They've been looking for it. They find it. And the last panel is, is this it? I don't think so. (laughs) And so sometimes it's silly. Yeah, Yeah, it's just well written. It's just, and it's written by a couple, a heterosexual man, woman couple, to my knowledge, from Australia. And uh, Well, already I'm on board. It's once a week, once a week. And, uh, but it's sword and sorcery. It's dumb as hell, and it's hilarious and ridiculous. And I'm I'm so on board with that. I will look it up because you know my first thought the minute I hear sword and sorcery comics is this is written by a dude, and I'm just going to not like the way that <laughs> the the that sword and sorcery women are portrayed in this thing. Right, right, and they they are the women are portrayed amazingly the men are portrayed uh various ways okay uh, but the women the women the women there's uh yes it is you know you know how people are just whatever but uh the uh a stack of meat with just different sausage casings but sure because of the because of the 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 way the, the women are often more powerful than the men but the and the gods in it are almost always petty but sometimes apathetic and always interesting. I mean, because of your love of Terry Pratchett, I think you would like Oglaf. I'm so there. I'm all over Oglaf probably right after this. And then, right. And then there's, there's this other one that, uh, and I can't, I can't remember the guy who, it's a British guy who writes it and it's, uh, an iteration. It's just a tiny village in England that has magic, but it also just has uh, a college. So it's weird. It's called Steeple. I feel like I might have come across Steeple in my travels. Yes, and so it's there's there's no reason not to not to get involved with. But there's a lot of content out there. Is what I'm saying. And the internet has made it possible for there to be something for everyone. That's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because because I guess what I was talking about was the comic strip, the daily thing, and it, it has it has mutated into something clearly that is not exactly that. But it is that. Right. And 
and and and the the power structure and the gatekeepers of those old newspapers you know in some ways you know there's there's all the way the world changes is always we're screwed it's always going to change and we're always going to regret we're like there's never going to be any more newspapers so we're going to get one opinion or we'll get three billion opinions and then you're going to have to take a lice comb to those opinions right so that you can figure out what's true those opinions are going to leave nasty stuff all over your head exactly uh here's now we have like 12 minutes left and i didn't want to talk about I know it. And uh, I still, I'm going to make a chicken franchise tonight, too. So as soon as we're off this. Ooh. All right. I How do you do cooking. that? Oh, you know what? Yeah. It's, it's it. I'm. Let's do that. I like to experiment. No, I don't want to talk about that. But I'm just saying I'm going to make oh. one right after this. No, if you okay. want to make a good chicken franchise, the best one is the New York Times recipe. You follow that. Okay. You will have a delicious lemony chicken thing. Is this bone in skin on chicken? This is bone off. Uh, skin off chicken, boneless skin. Yep, boneless skinless uh, chicken. But breast? you create a skin made of egg and deliciousness. Right, right. Uh, you have to because you 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 currently have a skinless <laughs> boneless chicken breast. Yes. <laughs> if you kept the skin and the bones on, you might not have to create quite as elaborate a sauce. But it, it's if a the dish sauce I kind of love because because it's called chicken franchise because it's an Italian dish. It's an Italian ideation of what French chicken might be. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I love yeah. that. They're like, if I were Indian, this is the curry I would make exactly. as an Irish Armenian woman. Except and you're imagine, like, it would have imagine if India was just down the block because Italy and France are not separated from each other by much. Right, right. True. It's true. They're right there. They're right there. Yeah, right there. And uh, uh, to quote my brother, Phil, the great thing about going to Greece every day, Greek food. Anyway, um, <laughs> he is a simple man of the people, Phil Cation. Uh Three episodes with him, by the way, Rangers, get out there. So uh, he now, I I guess, did you go to UCLA? I did not. Adam, a favor, uh, because the I went to you Tufts have, University in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, there you go. Boston, Massachusetts. Tufts. Oh, yeah. uh, I've heard so much about it. Uh, I've only been to the Harvard Glass Museum. Uh, so I missed <laughs> out. <laughs> Not all. There's easily Massachusetts alone, I think, has something like 800 universities. Yeah. And uh, only one glass go- museum. So in some ways you win. Oh, well, good for me. It's the flowers exhibit. You guys get out there. Uh, so uh, and it isn't pretty flowers. It's uh, it's science flowers uh, done by German glass blowers from the late 1800s. And then they had to ship them here on a boat. So oh, it's worth I'm the not effort. comfortable if I'm putting all my glassware on a boat. But, you know, whatever. Uh, and every single case says, don't lean on it. And yeah. I leaned on several cases. And Andy had to say <laughs> several times, hey. It says, don't lean on it. So, <laughs> I love to lean. Uh, so, I'm a leaner, too. Uh, People are always surprised to find out how tall I am because, I, you know, I do nothing but slouch and lean. Oh, interesting. Now, I'm nine feet tall. You're nine feet tall. I kind of want to bring you back for the puzzle community uh, oh. just because. Oh, is that where we were going? Yes, of course. That's where UCLA. Yeah, we were going with UCLA. Uh, are you familiar because- with the whole puzzle community thing? No, I once accidentally interviewed somebody here on the Dork Forest who did crossword word word. He made the he he made several of the the word puzzles in the New York Times. Oh, crossword I know, puzzles. I, I, I know a few of those guys. Yeah, those are crossword puzzles. Yeah, um, but <laughs> I don't no, want any is, part of those. But I'm this glad. isn't that. 
Although I do this like crossword that. puzzles. The puzzle community sure. is a bigger thing. I don't even think we can get into it now, but like, all right. So there's a community of Tease people it. who do these yeah. giant competitions, these puzzle hunts where the best one, the one that I was first roped into was, would you come play the game? And if you, if everyone wants to go to Wikipedia and look up the game, uh, yeah. And the disambiguation is puzzle hunt. You will see descriptions of things that you can't believe exist. There's a movie from the 80s called Midnight Madness, where okay. all these fraternities are on a puzzle quest in cars all night. And oh, wow. that was sort of the basis behind what became the most elaborate puzzle thing you can imagine. You show up at a location in the Bay Area there are maybe 20 other teams that have rented vans and you spend an entire weekend solving puzzles, each of which leads you to another location somewhere in the Bay Area. And is it sort of escape room-esque? It's or so much is it... more complicated. Escape rooms are like baby versions of the pu the puzzle community. A lot of the people who manufacture puzzles for these these like the MIT mystery hunt and stuff yeah, now yeah. make escape rooms on the side because they are really good puzzle designers. Okay, and well, it's as you can imagine, uh, game designer. Uh, everything's a game. I don't know if you know this about uh, being married to a game designer, but everything has a game mechanic and everything. He can't stand in line at a grocery store. So uh, it is, <laughs> there's some sort of, the UI I'll, here is troubled. I'll give you one yes. of my favorite examples of a moment from the, the game that I played up in the Bay Area is around lunchtime, all the teams were solving a puzzle that then sent them to Chinatown in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And we were looking around Chinatown. We went to the location that seemed to have been indicated by the previous puzzle that we'd solved, and there was nothing there except we noticed there was one of those vendors uh, selling like DVDs and shit off a blanket. Yeah. And then we noticed that he had a pin on his hat that was the symbol of the game competition we were in. So we gave him the answer to our previous puzzle, and he pointed to a stack of DVDs that were some kind of martial arts movie that no one would ever buy. Right. And we took that DVD and went to a nearby restaurant because, you know, it's lunchtime. We sat down right. with our laptop, put the DVD in, in our laptop, and it was a mashup of a bunch of, of – um, Martial arts movies, but along the bottom of the screen, the subtitles were not in a language that you we could recognize. It was, in fact, right? code. And we spent our lunchtime figuring out how the code related to the dialogue we were hearing, decoded the puzzle over dim sum, and it was the best thing. Okay. Adam Felber, it's been great having you on the show. Let's have you on tomorrow, and <laughs> we'll talk about puzzles, <laughs> because these are amazing. Oh, they're amazing. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I would actually love to have you back on the show. So let's tell people it's Adam Felber. If you Google the words Adam Felber, F-E-L-B-E-R, yeah. you will find out where all of his socials are. He's got the new podcast with uh, Andre Debuchet. And is, is Adam the other Spiegelman. Adam? Spiegelman. Spiegelman. Is he who I also know him. Uh, there's no reason for me to forget his last name. Uh, I am a monster, but uh, I'm a, a friendly monster. You're a friendly, a, friendly a monster. Sieve for a I feel like you and I have met for a, a few brain. times too, Jackie. I feel like we have too. And <laughs> and if you know Lori Kilmartin, we definitely have. So. But uh, Stark Raving Reviews is the new podcast. It and is. when it will is. that come out? Will that just be where podcasts are? There's or? already like two or three episodes out 
um, where you get oh, your podcast. Get it on the ground floor. Yeah, yeah, get it on the ground floor. So, it's really funny. It's unlike a lot of podcasts, like the first couple episodes, tightly written and 15 minutes long. Oh my gosh. So 15, finite, you guys. We, this can happen. Yeah. Yes. No, nobody listens to Paul Poundstone. He's on that and has been for low these several years. Yeah. And, uh, and she is uh, a freaking genius. I think She's we can fantastic. just say that out loud. Yeah, I think yeah. we can. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Uh, a show that I would also like to be on, and uh, and then a Barbenheimer, which he didn't write. You should know that I did not write Barbenheimer. That. That's but it. But we're shooting it but, at the end of January. <laughs> so look in, look, in look for that, you guys. Yeah, and 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 the written word. Look for uh, look for the Adam Felber written word all wherever you uh, enjoy the written word, and Pogo, and Bone, and all of these things uh, sound amazing. Uh, I could probably go to a bookshelf in my own home and 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 start. I know again. that you can. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. By the way, oh, thanks for having me. What what a whirlwind day this has been for me, discovering your podcast and then being on it in the same day. <laughs> exactly. And I am and now Rangers. a ranger. Yeah? I am now a ranger oh, for sure. Then let me tell you the rules. You know the rules out there. Uh, take care of each other. Hi, Adal. How was the show? It was really fascinating. You did a pop in in the middle I did. and. The, and there was talk that you wouldn't uh, that that we wouldn't do this at all. But then it was kind of so exciting. I wanted to talk to you about the whole thing. Right. We kind of have to do it. Right. Yeah. Adam Felber have to. It's a podcast. I say we don't have to do anything unless you people send me more money. Uh, not this <laughs> month. Not this month. This month. It's send to the food bank month. But next month we're back. Me. Right. If you send money. it to us, we're just going to send it to the food bank. So you might as well just give it to the food bank now. <laughs> right. Right. Cut out the middleman. That's that right. That'd be us. Adam Felber, writer, a guy that's on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He has a new podcast called Stark Raving Review, where they review movies. He loves a B movie. We didn't talk about that at all. Uh, but he's also the co-host on Paula Poundstone's podcast. Oh, Nobody okay. listens to Paula Poundstone. Right. Or Adam Felber. Or Adam Felber at that point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but he is so great. He He loves Terry Pratchett. And as I was many do. Him, as, as many do as you and I do. I do. It took me like six books to really get into it because I didn't really because it's sort of like Hitchhiker. So the fact that you're like, no, no, I get it. It's sarcasm. It's twee. It's right, this, it's right, that. Right. And then like literally the sixth or seventh book. And I get it. Not everyone's willing to do this kind of work uh, if they aren't <laughs> 12. But uh, right, right, right. But yeah, but I started loving him a great deal. But then he loves something you love, which is Pogo. Oh, yes. And I wonder bone. if you can see any of the Pogo. Oh, I think it's a little, little too low. I think it's on the shelf below. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, so, well. oh well. But you love a Pogo. He I do said love it, Pogo. He's a political satirist. And he said that's what got him into it. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I was my dad was bringing back these. I mean, they were considered I guess they'd be graphic novels at this point, but they were they weren't called that at the time. They were just right. books you could buy of Pogo comics um, strips at from the, the 50s, airport right? bookstores when I was okay. a kid. So you and, were what, eight? Oh, five, six. And they were all about Nixon and Watergate. <laughs> and I had no idea what was going on, but they, I loved them. <laughs> Right, because they were anthropomorphized. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Animals. Yeah. 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 So and, and then were, yeah. and so you know like Nixon uh, was a bulldog and uh, Spiro Agnew was an eaglet and uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Right, right. And he was, there was somebody, uh, and then there was different uh, calligraphy for yep. the different, uh, like some people so you were could tell how people, you could, you could tell what people spoke like. Yeah. So they either had like the normal comic book font or like they were the vulture who lived, who was the, uh, the undertaker. And he, and he spoke in, his name was Sarcophagus Macabre. <laughs> and he spoke in this sort of elegant, uh, like right. gothic right, right. handwritten font. Yeah, there was something he said there was a possum and an alligator that were friends, and they were the normal, they were the everyman. Bogo possum and Albert the alligator. Okay, and then there was a deacon who spoke. Deacon in, Rat. Who was a, he was often the bad guy. That's right, and he and he spoke he spoke in more calligraphy sort of like yes. like to get a sense that he was more ecclesiastic. Right, and uh, and he got seduced by the cowbirds, which were communists. <laughs> I, didn't, I, don't I didn't see any of those, but that's awesome. <laughs> right, it was, uh, and, and, and he started writing in like 1952, and it was right after McCarthyism, and one of the bad guys was, his name was like Malarkey. And it was just, it just sounded like Senator McCarthy. Oh, but yeah. his name was something, something McCarthy. Malarkey. <laughs> Malarkey. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was an E. Oh, simply J. McCar uh, Malarkey, I think it was. And he was, uh, an evil bobcat. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the evil bobcat. He had a, he had a, a, a buddy, a coyote buddy that they, they were like the, 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 the bad guys that were running around. Although they were sort of good, they were sort of good hearted bad guys. Right, right. They just didn't get it. Right, right, right. Everybody right. was very good hearted in this. Mm -hmm. and, uh... Right. <laughs> and then the only other thing I wanted to tell you about this show was that uh, Adam Felber's mother wrote Regency romances. What? I know. Under the name <laughs> Edith Layton. Wait and a minute. Have you read any of Edith Layton's work? I, I feel like you up. have. That sounds I familiar. Have. Well, that's because her name is like that country music theory of yours where mm, uh, yes. everybody has some sort of Whitey Magoo name. Yeah, yeah. And you can't be a country music star unless, you're, unless your last name sounds like it came from the British Isles. <laughs> that is also, I think, true, especially in the 80s and 90s. She wrote 90s and 2000s. Okay. Early 2000s, I think, was her last. 2006, maybe 2009. And But in the 90s, she wrote... My favorite publisher or or cover, it was Signet, S-I-G-N-E-T, the Signet romances. Mm -hmm. They were the best researched. Ooh. They were often not so sexy, but they were kind of sexy. And they were funny. They were super witty. Oh, okay. And uh, so uh, I... I have to go deep into my closet because I'm like the I'm like your grandmother's. You guys, I have uh, stacks of romance novels in my closet. Uh, it's true. <laughs> he nods. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we all collect something. That's what I have to say. It's the Dork Forest. But it was a wonderful episode, and I uh, I had a really good time doing it. Uh, I think I uh, that's all. And then I I like to tell you that I love you because you're in the living room, so huh. far away. Well, I love you also. In the a garage, <laughs> a very short distance. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I'll say it again, Rangers. You know the rules out there. Take care. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around. My hat, <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my God. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?